So I'm... Hmm. Drawing some themes together and perhaps also starting to touch into, you know, post-retreat scenarios. (laughs) Need, Need I say more? So what can we carry? What can we? What are the bits we can remember or keep going? You know, when the the game plan shifts or some of the the chessboard is different. You know, or sit on these little squares. It's a moving thing. Mm-hmm. When the Buddha. <coughs> went forth he said he went forth in search of the deathless beset by old age seeing old age sickness, death and then went forth in search of the, the deathless <clears throat> so it's a reference an aspiration, maybe a myth is there such a thing as the deathless And when he went uh, after his realization, big realization, he went back to see his uh, former companions and said, the deathless has been found. And they pricked up their ears. It was obviously a hot topic. (laughs) In those days. Well, the first person he saw after his enlightenment, he didn't say that. He, he, and then he taught the Four Noble Truths. The first person he saw, he said, I have, I'm a conqueror, I'm a world realized, I'm a completely realized being. And the person he talked to sort of went, well, good. <laughs> and, and <laughs> shrugged his shoulders and walked off. So the Buddha said, listen to his five former colleagues, the deathless has been found. uh, That those of you who can listen, bring forth your faith. Wide open are the doors to the deathless. Wide open are the doors to the deathless. That those you can hear, uh, bring forth your faith. Yeah. Later on, he, he there's another thing I remember him saying. There's a deathless city. I I have walked along a path. I've walked along a path. I'm walking along this eightfold noble path. I have come to the end of birth. I have come to the end of aging. I have come to the end of death. Walking along this path. Is a kind of resonant but somewhat mysterious in many ways. But if you look, you listen to the language of it, listen beneath the concepts, even just the, it's a sort of manual, it's a kind of poem, you might say. Uh, You get the sense of wide open. (laughs) Are the doors of the deathless wide open? Can you do that? Wide open. Uh, listen. Wide open. Listen. Pay attention. Widen. Wide open. Bring forth your faith. Bring forth your sense of this. This is meaningful. I can trust this. This listening. Wide open. Where is the sense of the the stable or the lasting, the not flickering in that. Mm. Now, this is subtle, 
And you go, what's that? Where is, where is, the, where is the bit? Where's the deathless bit in all that? Mm. Uh, and so this is quite a uh, normal way to look at, look at practice, look at what we're trying to do, is to find the deathless bit. Mm. Actually, when the Buddha made that statement, he didn't say, this is how to find the deathless bit. <laughs> he said, wide open are the doors of the deathless, let those who can listen bring forth their faith. He didn't say, this is how to get it. It's a different experience, different way of looking at experience. So it's a realization. Wide open, doors of the deathless. Bring forth your faith, bring forth your listening your faith, your attending to that openness. How, how do you experience that? Do you experience something and you're wanting to close down upon a thought or a feeling, push something away, hold on to something, repel something, remember something, add something up, subtract something? Or can you just wide open the doors to the deathless, bring forth your faith? Most people need a lot more than that, and these first five were no first five disciples were um, you know no exception to that rule, so he taught these four noble truths because he recognized that this in a way is the bit that uh, gets people on the experiential level if the deathless is a hot topic on the kind of you know spiritual level. The hot topic on the practical level is suffering, pain, stress, loss, being driven, being pushed, being unbalanced, carrying weight, depressed, struggling on, confused, you know, something shoving us around. So this is so this is the thing that every body feels somewhere or another everybody's trying to do it already everybody's trying to get out of that one you know whether it's spiritual or whatever they are even a even a slug is trying to do that <laughs> you know shake off the pain shake off the fear shake off the stress so this is you know, the, this is a good way to teach because it's what people are doing already Buddha was very practical he generally would teach people where they were already at so he bring it to, to where they're already at, and then you know, recognizing that this, uh, when we look at experience, pain. Is anyone who doesn't experience physical pain, is it possible not to experience physical pain? No. Is it anyone who doesn't age? No. Is anyone who doesn't experience? Uh, a decline in their sense faculties? No. Anyone whose skin doesn't wrinkle? <laughs> Despite it all. <laughs> no. Anyone whose hair gets, you know, doesn't go white or grey or fall out? No. Anyone who gets more vigorous as they grow older? Anyone who gets more lively as they get older? No. It's the decline, isn't it? Mm. Aging. And even in the process of that, the, the, the struggle of it, you know, from being a toddler up to being a teenager, oh, the, I don't ever want to go through that again. You know, <laughs> having to kind of, you know, get up to speed on it all and learn all these embarrassing things. <laughs> to make sure you can compete in in the race <laughs> and you know hold your own not be left out and get your goodies and uh, look like a regular guy and all these kinds of things oh, you know so prove oneself to be a, a man or a woman oh, you know pressure of that competition at least I don't have to wear lipstick anymore <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
one, one challenge I haven't had to meet yet. <laughs> so even before we get, you know, for, feel our sense circle is degenerating, just what it takes, you know, to grow up into this form. You know, the physical form for a, you know, young man or a young woman, how much stress is on, on that, just kind of, squeezing it in and propping it up and making it bulge here and not bulge there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) And then sooner or later it all kind of slides down. (laughs) (laughs) Sags. Is anyone who that doesn't happen to, you know, hold out for 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years against it? Well, would it so aging, then anyone doesn't die. So, and then the fear and the bereavement and the confusion, pain, confusion, bereavement around, around that. You know. so, so can you avoid that? Buddha didn't avoid it. He got crinkly and old and sick. He says, I can just about keep going. His body's like an old cart, you know, strapped together with thongs, just creaking along the road. <laughs> <laughs> Graphic, you know. I can only just about manage to, you know, keep going because of the pain in the body by, by developing particular kinds of concentration that could just kind of suppress it all. And then dying in uh, colic, sickness, diarrhea, under a tree. Mm. So he didn't get out of it, did he? Where's, where's this deathless then? <laughs> <laughs> so we have the, the, the kind of different kinds of what is called dukkha, or stress, suffering, pain. One is the dukkha of just physical pain itself, which nobody gets out of. And then there's the dukkha of... Um, change and decline separation nobody gets out of that but there's another kind that you can release and this is what the Buddha pointed to it's called the pain the dukkha of compounding and what this really means is the these conditions these forms, these experiences, dig into our hearts. We don't have to. These uh, experiences of uh, pain, distress, failure, loss, not getting it right, dig into us, dig into our hearts. We feel wounded, we feel oppressed, we feel closed. That doesn't have to happen. That's the bit that he says you can do. If you do that, then the heart is deathless. A deathless heart. It doesn't, doesn't do that kind of uh, trembling and shaking and contracting. You know, this is obviously this is not an organ. I mean the physical heart. So we're looking at, you know, heart, mind... Or, and then again, this gets. This is where it gets very uh, difficult because uh, we're not talking about some kind of eternal soul or eternal mind. The Buddha would say it's the mind released from taking any foundation. Yeah, and this is uh, very unusual, unusual to conceive of because mind always takes a foundation always sets, a, sets itself upon a sound, fe- thinks a sound, is affected by a sound, remembers a sound, enjoys a sound, senses a thought, is, a, is averse to the thought, enjoys the thought, adds one thought to the next. So it's always propping itself, depending upon, feeding upon, thrown around by phenomena. 
And these phenomena themselves individually come and go, change, but the habit remains. You know, one thought goes, we go to the next. One memory fuzz, you know, fades out, we go to a sight. The sight is interesting for a while, the interest in that fades, we go to a memory. From memory, go to an action. We switch something on. So, yeah, you know, we can see it all changing. It's all changing. I'm in the flow, it's all changing. Something isn't changing. <laughs> what isn't changing is the dependency. We just shift what the mind is leaning on. And it's this dependency that the Buddha says, this is the prop, the crutch. Now, is it possible to to release that? Release that. To, to, to put that aside. And for most people, it's not, or they haven't found that yet. But he said there are particular ways in which that, that, that dependency, that reflex dependency activates. And he called it thirst. It's very graphic thirst. It's kind of... You know, it's not even decision. You don't decide to be thirsty. It's a graph. It's a very reflex pull, and you can't. And he said these are the pulls towards sensuality, towards being something, or trying to be nothing. In other words, trying to push a memory away and not have it, or trying to remember something that I've half forgotten. You know, who was that? Trying to be, you know, a good guy. You know. Regular guy, strong, capable, reliable, or thinking, I'm fed up with this. I'm going to be the one who drops out. You know, getting out of the game. So, we, depending on whether we're winning or losing, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, when you're winning the game, the game seems really important. When you're losing it, you think, oh, who needs this game anyway? <laughs> I'd go and do something else. <laughs> but uh, that isn't really letting go of, of, of thirst or craving. It's just uh, shifting it to where you've got more chance of fulfilling it. <laughs> you know, I've had enough of this, I'm going to go and be a hermit. I'm going to be the best hermit in town. <laughs> or best hermit out of town, you know. So we're still on the chessboard, really. We're just changing the piece. And he said, it's just to really come to terms with this reflex, feel it, sense it, know it, and then the complete softening, relinquishment, loosening, coming out of that. And it, it can be done. And there's a path to doing that. The Eightfold Path. It gives me what's called right view, understanding cause and effect. Understanding that all those um, those actions that we do, holding ourselves together, have effects. They harden us up, and if, if they they can hard they can firm us into a good pattern, good karma, or they can firm us up into a bad, negative, or self-destructive pattern, self-hatred, depression, substance abuse, all this kind of stuff. We just spiral continually round in and the kind of minor hell realm. Um, and if you wanted to choose, he said it's best to choose the good one. And but from the from a good place you can you can get enough steadiness to begin to, to sense just what it's like to be in any any form, any basis at all. There's always some stress involved. There was some having to hold it together and identification with it. So when we're in a happy state any movement out of that happy state is, oh, what a shame. Having a good time. It's time to leave. Oh, that was nice. Okay, well, you know. Mm. Really enjoying myself. Mm. Having a nice meditation, sitting there, peaceful, calm, bong, bell rings. Mm. <laughs> you know. Or the other time you're thinking, bell, ring the bell. God damn it, ring the bell. <laughs> you know. So any shift from the pleasant is experiences, uh, okay, oh well. But can the, can the pleasant ever continue? Does it ever 
without having something added to it, without being further propped up with another nice piece. This doesn't happen. It's actually a, a wave that's continually you know, on the edge of breaking, but we generally put something else into it to keep it going, to keep it lifting. So even this, sustaining, having to sustain the pleasant is a subtle form of, of stress. But it's better. You know? So, you know, we have, so there are fundamentally there are two, 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 two um, aspects to practice. One is sustaining the good, getting, you know, putting aside the bad. So we're becoming that which is more steady, more sustainably agreeable, perhaps less fantastic and exciting and powerful and zappy. Because those things flare up but also burn out quick and they take a lot more boosting to keep going. You know, you've got to get tanked up for it. You know. So people do various kinds of chemicals to get those bang highs, but then you've got the big come down after it. So just weaning oneself to a softer, gentler form of sustainable pleasant pleasantness. So this is the best kind of becoming, which means you know calm, meditation, uh, kindness, compassion, patience. You know, there's a whole range of it you know, to to bring us into this more agreeable state that we can is, is slow burn. We can sustain it. We begin to also recognise that e- even beyond that, moving from the the personal stories of our lives to something transpersonal is also subtly agreeable. When the thinking dies down, when those issue mind goes somewhere else, isn't writing headlines, when that goes, oh well, pleasant, the excessive obsessive thinking dies down. And even when we uh, sort of look at our our habitual patterning, sometimes it's a relief when you find you can be somewhere without having to be yourself all the time. Be those patterns. Be, you know, who we have been accustomed to being. At first, this can feel strange, awkward, but then after a while, it becomes a relief. Not to have to have a face, not to have to have a name, not to be doing emails, not to be in those places where we just are ricocheting around reflexes of who we think we are and who other people think we are and who we're supposed to be. So nice when we come to retreats to to sort of shuck some of that off, just to put aside as best we can. Because we see even holding this personality form is a form of, of stress. And, and, and to realize we can be, we can substantially reduce that and there's still presence and awareness. And in fact, we feel an agreeableness which is more about being whole because our personality structure is often a very abbreviated uh, experience of our of our. Uh, of our minds. In other words, it's the bits that people, that the world or society notices, the bits that seem important to get things done, the bits that people pay attention to, the bits that are socially approved, the bits that aren't cool, don't, they're not allowed to be there, don't surface, you know. So, you know, depending what, what that is, you know, for men, probably fear is not cool. Looking, looking fearful is not, not. You're confident. We're always confident. We come on confident. If we don't know, we say, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> or we say, "You don't need to know that." <laughs> not important. I'm above all that. Basically, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm in control. I'm strong. I'm okay. I can handle it. So all that kind of niddering wreck inside, you know, we don't, some of you don't even know you have one. You know, that kind of fearfulness, because it's not, so that your personality gets structured around being able to cope, manage, hold your own. 
So those are the bits that become there. And in fact, they have to keep getting activated. And so there's some sense of, you know, who you are has, is not, doesn't sustain itself. It's got to keep getting activated. So when we come to meditation, then I'm cool, I can sit here, I can stand the pain, I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm okay. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't need support, actually. Yeah, okay. so, you know, so kind of fearfulness or uncertainty. You know, we find ourselves coming back in these personality forms. And, you know, really when, when you're sitting in meditation, just come to those places where so your personality system is, you know, you're trying to keep being okay and clear and confident and cool, spacious and so forth, and it isn't happening. You're tightening up, uh, feeling feeling shot, shot, feeling, sh- and just like physical pain sometimes, and the struggle between, you know, am I am I going to struggle to look okay, or or I'm going to going to uh, accept? I haven't learned how to accept things as they are. Personality can't do that. Personality is about being something firm, solid, regular not about accepting breakdown, being with that. So what can happen for people is that they, they get to a place, personality can't handle it, and then there is a break because there's nothing else there supporting apart from this personality structure. So we come into to meditative experience. A lot of this experience is just the trial and error of going beyond, just beyond your person personal boundaries, you know, and just little bits, little bits, little bits beyond your personal boundaries to, to realize, yeah, you can be okay. You can manage that. Going beyond our personal boundaries in terms of putting things aside, letting go of things, feeling I, I, can, I can be without that, that uh, proving myself or entertaining myself or looking good or having things run my way. You know, I feel odd at first, but then I can have this kind of opening, widening. Oh, yeah, it's okay. You can, you know, and it's it's lovely when we can do that. You sense there's a there's another resource apart from your your personal strategies. When we come to something that's more transpersonal, where in fact there's a greater sense of unity, because it's a place that we can all reach coming through our personal stuff, whatever it is, meeting it, widening, softening beyond that, whatever your personal form is, you come to something transpersonal. There's a great sense in a group of a resonance, a harmony, when we aren't being doing our thing. Uh, And this is very strengthening. What is that? So it's something, and, and to, to really develop that and fulfill that, what I've been suggesting is a holistic, embodied, in your body. So your personality tends to cut bits of your body off, your body, your heart, and your clarity. Something holistic. Because the, body, the bodily sense gives you the strength to be here, but it's not a power strength anymore. It's, a, it's just the sense of presence. It's not a muscle thing. It's an energy thing. So we're not tightening up. We're actually, to do that, you have to relax. Find balance, poise. It's a movement of a kind of a softening, widening, but really on one point. So you're, you're sustaining the space, letting go of the push towards time, in time, tightening up, just sustaining that, you feel a quality of bodily presence, which is just vitality, whether it's however it is. And it acts as a as a an inner resonance, you might say, or an inner quality that calms your heart, because you can feel this sense of simple, simple presence, which is not there's no tightening in that, there's no push in that, a simple presence, a very relief. A lot of relief in it. 
So within that you get the emotional sense of I'm at home, I'm in my space, I don't have to prove anything, I don't have to compete with anybody else, I don't have to gain anything, you know. It doesn't, you know. And then we, we find that, and this is beautiful, because there's kind of this sense of, I don't have to, you know, my, my relationships with other people are now not competing, not jealous, not trying to show how good I am, but just simple simple resonance. You know? So this is a kind of transpersonal level. And the mind, uh, our clarity increases. You begin to see clearly, first of all, that, that the beauty of that experience you begin to see clear, more clearly where where you look, where it gets lost, where there's a tightening up, and you begin to see also the releasing. So we tighten up around pain, around uh, uh, maybe the memory comes in, something stressful in your memory, or you tighten up around trying to get somewhere, be something, you know, get something out of this. Or you tighten up around, am I good enough? Am I as good as everybody else? You know, or we tighten up around, is everybody else as good as I am? <laughs> why aren't they perfect? Yeah. So, you know, why isn't the routine like this or not like that? I don't get enough sleep, I don't get enough to eat. So you, you kind of like, whatever it is, the basic sense of tightening up and this agitation begins and when we get into that agitation and tightening up, suddenly a whole personal story comes back because we've shifted from the transpersonal back to the personal. And all the person's stuff is, is there. Yeah. This can be very confusing because the transpersonal does feel really, really pleasant. Oh, well, maybe this is it. If I could just abide in this. Space, resonance, clarity, embodied... Just abide in this. This must be it, you know. And then I'm in this space. And why does somebody have to? Doesn't pass the sugar on the table? How can he be so insensitive? <laughs> why does she always have to pass right in front of me? You know pick her sandals up. Why could, you know, space, space. So the trans, so, you know, we suddenly we find ourselves getting sometimes humbly and sometimes embarrassingly personal again. The transpersonal is transpersonal, but it isn't isn't the deathless. It, you can decline from that. You can come. You can come down from that. You can contract out of that. Yeah. So as we come off retreat, we're in this nice kind of space, openness, harmony with all beings. Come back to your partner and have an argument over the dinner in two three days, and it's very tough to 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 uh, to meet this and say, well. I'm transpersonal, so it must be your fault. Because <laughs> I don't operate from personality level anymore. And this can be the case in spiritual circles, you know, actually to even to write up to fairly, you know, teachers, you know. I don't have greed, I just have needs. <laughs> you know, I need to be respected and so forth. And lifted up. You know, I'm not really angry, I'm just... Uh, being wrathful. <laughs> and all my opinions are, are, are sacrosanct and sacred, you know, because they're coming from this space that you don't understand, you know, so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And it can get quite abusive, as we probably have, have heard, you know, in spiritual circles, people find actually what's happened, they colonize the transpersonal <laughs> level and shifted the ego to a greater domain. More room there. <laughs> So this is, though this, this, uh, this isn't it. Although you know, wonderful to to be able to find this wet, this this transpersonal uh, field, you know, if we enter it in the right way. But the Buddha said, as I said before, the Buddha says you want to hang out anywhere. These these are the places, the best kind of places to cling and find as a foundation. But the deathless is the freedom from the mind with no foundation more props freedom all dependencies so what we learn instead of our, our, our normal way of, of attention is very much uh, on, on the thing experience or you might say the being in am I in a good space or in a bad space you know how am I with you on my own, we, we, there's a field of con- consciousness keeps establishing a field for us to dwell in. You know, maybe it's three of us get together and we have a nice time together, so a field arises, doesn't it? We can play with, or we on our own, get in a good space. I'm in, a, in my own field of consciousness, or whatever, you know, and it can be very difficult. We're in a tangled up field of many, many different influences and energies if it's really disruptive. And consciousness. Is uh, you know it gets established establishes a field, and that's what it's supposed to do. And the the Buddha talked often about the cessation of consciousness, or the whereby the what we don't recognise is that consciousness is continually being sustained and energised and established because we don't have to do it; it does it automatically. You see something, and suddenly I am in the seeing. You, know, you hear something, and I am in the hearing. You know, so the, the sense faculties pop open, present a visual domain which is so big and so colours and lights and shapes presents that. Amazing, isn't it? If you were a bat, you'd have that happening through your ears. Bats see exquisite details with their ears on the auditory level. If you're a dog, it'd be your nose. Imagine smelling out spirit rock. <laughs> you know that 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 uh, olfactory, the you know the, the olfactory domain, consciousness of dog is very big and rich. For us, it's very limited. And that's kind of what happens, and that happens for all beings. But for does the mind consciousness is the one that. Uh, he says, it's not, not the senses can never be freed, the external senses, they will do that, but the mind consciousness does not need to be established. Now, it generally establishes itself on a sound or a sight or a thought or a memory or a feeling. And it establishes domain, I am in a good space, I'm in a bad space, there's fear, there's problems and so forth. And the Buddha says, well, really, if you just keep contemplating everything your mind depends upon regularly, continually, and see that everything your mind depends upon is not dependable, shifts, changes, falls, you begin to lose your appetite for that. You've been, your mind goes there, you go, oh, no. Your mind go, starts to go to a sound or a sight, and think, fine, just let it be that way. And this is called a nibbida, or like a sense of had enough. Or or also viveka means a sense of starts a progress. You might say the progress of insight is first of all the sense of being able to step back viveka enough to see all those energies and those pulls and pushes going on. Viraga, dispassion, means there's a real cooling out of the frenzy and all that, of the need to be, of the need to get away, of desire, of aversion. You know, it's just like, that's just that. That's just my greed again. That's just the desire again. 
That's just the fear again. And eventually it doesn't, it doesn't get you going so much. You know, you got used to that, that program. It's like that. This may sound really boring, you know, or, or pathetic, but, you know, watching these programs happening, here's my intimidation, there it is again. And actually, even as I say it, you know, it's not my intimidation, it's just that's the intimidation program. That's the fear program. So we're not trying to get rid of it, even, or add to it, but just, there it is. That's all it is. Let it, let it you know, move through, pass through. So we, we get some sense of dispassion about that. We're not, we don't get a whole story, don't tighten up and clench and react and make things out of it. What occurs through that steadying is if, that over, after a period of time, it, it's, it stops, it doesn't come up, it's finished. It doesn't happen. There isn't the initial triggering. So, you know, you realize that all of your programs or sankharas come from triggering. That as you see something that reminds you of, you see something and you feel the fear. You see something and you feel the desire. You hear something and you feel that. It's the triggering. And as your, your practice gets clearer, you go to those places of triggerings where your buttons are pushed. You go to that button-pushed place and right now that's just, you know, you don't have to do, you don't have to follow that. And it's very, you know, this is kind of what we live with, working at those places and as we come back to more to your, your ordinary life, you'll come back to button territory. It'll be your father with what he does. It'll be your aging aunt with what she does. It'll be your boss with what she does. It'll be your open your letters with what they do. You know, look at your tax returns with what they do. It's kind of triggering. But come back, you contemplate that or you go to that that place and just get to the place of the triggering and it's just the perception, just the memory, just the kind of charge, the emotional charge in that softening, widening, wide open are the doors to the deathless. <laughs> Bring forth your faith. Even in this seemingly humble, seemingly non-spiritual place, is a place for exactly that. Exactly that. That place we just soft widening. You don't need to go down that channel again. You don't need to go down that path again. You've probably been down that path many times, so many times that you've come to believe that that's an undying truth, that you must always, that's who he is, that's who she is, that's what you do, this is the way it's going to be, you know, and and you, if I could just move forward a bit faster, I could get to the end of it. Because I don't want to go back to that triggering place, where that place of triggering, I feel basically, I don't know what to do, helpless, so I react. I feel overwhelmed, so I react. I feel frightened, so I react. I feel defensive, so I react. I feel empty, so I try to pull something in. And at that quivery place, where you're, the emotional charge starts, that's the place where softening. Have faith. This is the place you can make some really powerful changes from how you're structuring, how you get structured. So actually it's not the transpersonal per se or the personal, but through entering the transpersonal you begin to see you don't just have to be a person all the time. You know. You've got somewhere else you can go. And that means you can look at the personal, you can feel the personal with a little more dispassion. Right? I was this nice open space, thinking stopped. Now listen to who he is. Oh, here he is again. Look at that, isn't it interesting? More curious, 
This is me getting wound up. This is me defending myself. This is me sorting the world out. You know, there she goes. <laughs> you know, how did that one trigger? And you go back to the triggering of, I need to feel okay, I feel frightened, I feel offended, I feel violated. Ah, yeah, and then we get one of those, yeah, there it is. That's because it rings. It rings. And it's often very simple, basic stuff, you know. I feel invaded. I feel I've lost my ground. I feel helpless. I feel pushed. You know? And around that button, the most powerful button that's going, it's, you know, suddenly all the stuff starts pouring out. Interesting enough, it's, it's very mu- in that place where we don't know what to do is the place, this is where the deathless is. <laughs> the Buddha very much encouraged us all to reflect on insecurity, instability, nothing belongs to me, everything is mine, beloved and pleasing will be separated from me. Everything that is mine, beloved and pleasing will become otherwise, will become separated from everything, everything Everything that is mine, beloved, pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Ooh. Don't don't hear that even, don't want to hear that. It's just intra-Buddhist catechism. (laughs) Buddha was miserable. traumatized but this isn't to make us miserable it's just to almost take us that place where I'm open you know and I haven't got anything to stand on anything to hide behind anything to make softening widening bring forth the faith and then see what can come out of that see what we can If there's anything to do, let it happen. If there's anything to think, let it happen. If there's anything to feel, let it happen. Let it just be that way. Let the. So there is a kind of a a, 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 of of an action or response, maybe subtle, maybe internal, that comes out of that. This is a point to try and, you know, navigate towards. Because it isn't actually the transpersonal or the personal that's an answer. Although entering the transpersonal certainly gives us some perspective on the personal. But it's a particular reflex that we look at. Reflex of clinging, establishing, depending. Looking for a dependency. Looking for someone. Looking for something to hold me together. Because if I'm not held together, I. If I'm not held together, I. Is that true? Check it out. Yeah, and maybe it can only happen for like a, a second before the reflex happens again. Maybe only for a, a second or two before the reflex kicks in. But if it happens for a second or two. Something says, hmm, interesting. What was that? What was that? And then, maybe I could go back there again. <laughs> so uh, I think for experienced practitioners, that's kind of what we do. You, know, you go to those places, you almost want to go to those places in a strange sort of twisted way <laughs> where you don't know what to do just to see what will happen there to see if you can actually unhook a reflex unhook a reflex it's about vulnerability defense, defenselessness if you can unhook a reflex I think Zajan Mehta was saying you know come to a, give a talk with nothing to say See what happens. 
you, know, you get through the kind of, oh, <laughs> or, you know, I'm not as good as so-and-so, 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 or I've got to come up with something about something, or there's 80 people looking at me, <laughs> the reflex, and just, you know, may not be that good, but this is what's happening for me. You know, but it's a powerful practice, a personal practice. So quite a lot of our stuff, you know, this reflex or undoing this reflex can be learnt intimately on in your personal life. In fact, it can only be only be experienced intimately, personally. That's the interesting thing about it. You can only experience it intimately, specifically. There isn't really a a system apart from the eightfold path that's continually shaping up the kind of don't go there, do more of that, do less of that, that kind of keeps you in the territory and the right view and the right understanding to say that's the place, that's that bit you want to go to, that that clinging bit, that attaching bit. Can you see it? You know, If you put away some of these dependencies and props and distractions and, you know, then that, that one's going to come flaring up. Tanha, thirst, that itch, upadana, clinging, got it, becoming, hey, I'm in my trip. A rotten trip, but I'm in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't it, isn't it so Ill- indicative how even you've got a crummy self, you'll keep it going. Somebody's asking, why do we keep coming back to all these things that make us so miserable? Why do we keep doing that? Well, you know, because you don't have, you know, because the system's out of control. (laughs) There's reflexes, and the fundamental reflex is grab hold and and become a story. That's upadana, grab hold, become a story, is becoming birth, who you finally feel you are death as it falls away that's dependent origination and that reflex of thirst you can't decide not to be thirsty you can't decide to be thirsty, it's a reflex it kicks in, so you've got to actually you know, however much we've got the right ideas, you've got to go back to the places where you feel that that thirst, that appetite that wanting to spit something out something to get something in and then the clutch around that. That's the button. Wide open. The doors to the deathless. Now as, a, as a, just a skillful means, what I've been teaching, we've been presenting, is the body, heart, mind. Because when we look at reflexes, these are not purely ideas. These are not just thoughts. These, these are an energetic basis. You can feel yourself tightening up. You know, the lunge forward. Because all our sense faculties are stud, you know, in place on the front of the body. Our normal movement is lunge forward, grab hold. Lunge forward, grab hold. You know, and I'm trying to indicate step back, widen out. There's a kind of counterbalance to that. Lunge forward, grab hold. You know. Uh, and so sensing some of this energetic kick as it comes in. Yeah. And we don't try and stiffen up to prevent it. You loosen up so you can feel it more accurately. Softening, loosening these bodily senses, becoming more embodied so you can feel that, that energy come up. And see if just even through the body, softening and loosening, breathing out. This is not enough, but it's a good basis to get to. heart when the heart closes down it's not receptive learning to listen listen to yourself listen to silences listen to how the inner voices with deep deep listening heart sense opens widens keeping the, the head sense clear not congested not obsessive not overwhelmed with too much trying to figure things out just not clear that's that that's that. What is that? Have you got that? Feel it. 
and uh, and also you know look at some of the languaging in which we describe our experiencing. And I was saying the other day, a lot of it is visual. See what I mean? I've got some insight, got a clear view of that. I'm really clear. I could see that clearly. I see the point of that. I've got a good focus on that. And there are particular strengths that that this is a head experience. The eyes and the head. In other words, it's not about feeling things. It's about object definition. It's a skill. It's part of it. See what happens when you say, I listen. I listen to my thoughts. I listen to the feelings. I listen to the sounds. Just into that domain, that consciousness base, and how the mind, when it, when it depends upon the auditory sense, is of a different nature. It, 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 it's energized in a slightly different way. It's much more global for a start because the ears are on the side of your head. It's much more all-round, and it's much more a sense of I'm in it rather than I'm standing in front of it. You know? And in that, naturally, the sense of being in it is more empathic and resonant. So, you know, so it's, it has a, has a different uh, way of, of tuning how the mind is going to operate. Another third basic pathway, these are neurolingual pathways, is, is the tactile sense. You get a feel for something, you get in touch with something, you get a handle on something, you come to grips with something, you loosen up about something. Yeah? And these are very useful. I find these very useful because the beauty of the tactile sense is that it's very direct, it's very immediate. You can't, you can't be a millimeter away from what you're touching and get it. You can't be a millimeter away from what you're touching and still get the touch. You've got to really go onto that spot. Visual sense, you can stand half a mile away and say, yeah, look at there he goes. I see your problems are this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not bothered, really. <laughs> but you touch it, and you get the charge. You get the resonance of that. And when we talk about clinging, that's tactile, isn't it? You don't cling with your eyes, you cling with your hands, you cling, you can feel it tightening in your body. When you release, you don't release visually. Release is very much a holding sense. When you walk, as the Buddha walks his path, he doesn't see things, he walks it. He walks his noble path. The images again are pretty physical. It's a useful base to, to to develop because often when we see things you see is it this I don't get this I see this I see that I see the other what what do you what do you feel what do you what are you actually in touch with and it become very simple I'm in touch with I can't touch this it's too hot ah that's good you know some things we just can't touch it's too hot it's too sore it's good to know that that all the seeing in the world you're still not getting a direct, accurate sense of it. And I think this is one of the, the challenges for meditators. I've got detachment, I can see all this stuff coming and going. Is this it? But, yeah, you know, your detachment to a certain degree is through because you're not actually touching a point. You're not touching how it's affecting you. And uh, naturally, this is something that we'd rather like to do. Sit back, detach. And when I was on a pilgrimage in India, walking along the roads, the heat, the hunger, the sickness, everything just kind of pasting, you know, there's no room. Everything just hits you in the face. Everything, your guts, your feet, your legs, your body, greasy, grubby, tired, hungry, hot, sweaty, so, you know, it's visceral. There's absolutely no room to get away. Everything it just hurts when you sit down, you sit down and something crawls in you and bites you. <laughs> you have to get up and keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, hot and tired. 
you know, sit down, it's difficult. The thing you sit down, it's painful, and something bites you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember we, went, we went to Calcutta, and I find that my relief was we went to the um, library, British Institute, in the library, and I could sit there and read about all the pain in the world. I feel, well, look at that, you know, disaster in Nicaragua, well, you know, famine in the, oh dear, it's terrible. You know, I think, I'm actually finding it's, it's comfortable. Because <laughs> I can sit back and feel these agreeable thoughts and tut tut, and it's a shame, and oh, look at that, you know. Because it isn't actually, you know, the visual senses give me this nice sense of distance from it. You know, I find it terrible with television. You can sit and watch people getting shot to pieces on television and go, well, could you turn the colour up? <laughs> <laughs> the blood doesn't look real. You know? I think it's dreadful because people get inured to, to violence because you see it. You know, you don't hear the scream. You don't smell the stink. You don't feel the panic of war, battle and violence. So, you know, you get, you get, oh, well, yeah. You know, it even gets to be kind of fun. It's dangerous, that, that kind of detachment. Can you touch? And if you can't, this is not a problem. It's just almost like a, can you touch your grief? Can you touch your fear? Just really touch it, not fix it, cure it, just touch it. Slowly, gently, touch it. Let it run through you. Maintaining presence. With the don't know what to do. Or the tremble of that. Because the beauty of it is if we just maintain presence with that, the quality of presence starts to give us some stability that helps these triggers to undo. They've always operated because the more we act upon them, the more established they get. Can you touch your violence without being ashamed or panicking about that? Making a story out of it. This is part of practice too. Not witnessing it arising and passing, but touching it and feeling it move through you. And then it will, it will release. It will calm. It will release. Because in that place of touch is tremendous trust, isn't it? In order to touch something, it's, a gr- it's an immense offering of, of vulnerability to touch something. Because when you touch it, it touches you. There's no distance anymore. This is why it's so precarious. And why, you know, we, when we come to Dhamma practice, we, we you know, really work on establishing you know, purity of intent and so forth. And this, that, and the other. You get strong you know, boundaries and purity of behavior. Still, we have to touch these places of, of violence and hatred and grief and fear and then if you touch them they know they're being touched and they will ah they will you know they will they will fade i spend years avoiding touching things it's you know i don't want to see myself as violent fearful, sad, pathetic, you know, whatever the judgments are, and not wanting to, you know, so but that just postpones the process. Sometimes we, why is it still happening? Why is it still happening? Why are you still running the story? Why is, you know, watching it rising, why are you still running the story? Because you haven't, something hasn't yet touched the meaning of that. There is cessation but it takes some steering. And through this, often through these sometimes embarrassingly personal 
issues, experiences within our, within our minds, within our hearts, you start to learn the trust of touching, the trust of presence, and the trust in allowing things. You don't let go of anything apart from the, the, the fear and the distance. As you, as you fully come into presence, without trying to hold presence, but just there is, there is a release that begins to happen almost in the same reflex way as, a, as clinging happens. The same sort of reflex, the same kind of uh, non-self quality to it. So this is, these are useful pieces to bear in mind as we come back to the our personal world, you know, sensing which of the buttons, which of the triggers are going to get activated. There may be, you know, maybe it's all button out there. But looking at the one or two fundamental signals the, that, that they, they create, just touching that, letting it move through, there is a ceasing. With the ceasing of that uh, ignorance, ignorance is not getting in touch with. With the ceasing of ignorance, there's a ceasing of the sankharas, the activations. When there's a ceasing of the activations, there's a cessation of establishing consciousness based upon those. With the ceasing of establishing consciousness, there isn't the sense of a subject, an object, me doing a dance with something or the other, the duality. Uh, name and form with the ceasing of that the contact those impressions of self and other don't keep arising with the ceasing of contact it's the ceasing of the, the feelings that depend upon that with the ceasing of that the ceasing of craving the ceasing of clinging the ceasing of becoming the resting from all that and this is not like a one-off it's time and time again minute specific points where you f- the activation the sankara is there, you get to the button of it, get in touch with that, let it move through you, let the signal move through, go its way. This is a gradual unraveling of our karma. Sankara is the energy that generates and supports karma, so there's a releasing of karma, and there is a releasing of birth and further becoming. Open are the doors of the deathless. Wide open are the doors of the deathless. That those who have faith, those who can listen, can be in that, bring forth your faith. 